Amen. Thanks for being seated. It's a good thing a resurrection song on any Sunday. The only reason we worship on Sunday is because that's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. What could have... They changed their worship from the Sabbath, Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6, to Sunday. What could have happened that Old Testament Jews would have changed their day of worship? <laughs> what could have happened? It would be very appropriate for us to sing about a resurrection every single Sunday. Thanks. Appreciate uh, Jacob filling in for Josh uh, today. Uh, appreciate how deep we are in worship. And Jacob comes over from our Riverside campus to, to help us out. Appreciate Paul's prayer as he prays that the word today preached will change us. I hope that's why you're here to, to worship God and to hear from him, hearing from me. Uh, means nothing. Um, uh, I uh, only have something of importance to tell you as I uh, correctly and rightly interpret what God has already said. And so uh, pray for me as um, God gives me the grace to do that today. I'm preaching a, a starting a sermon series today that I've wanted to do for over 10 years. I bought a book um, probably over 10 years ago entitled My Own Worst Enemy. Uh, and the whole premise of the 18 little chapters in that book is that we are our own worst enemy. And um, most of the difficulties that we struggle with in our lives and even in our Christian lives are a count of things where we're not walking in the truth uh, of God. And after I became a Christian, I was able to see that more clearly and see that um, at least 80% of the things that, that were wrong in my life were wrong because of my poor choices, that I am my own worst enemy. And even for those 20% of those things that someone else is problem and someone else does to me, uh, obviously I have the responsibility to, to walk in uh, how, and to how I react to that, and I can react to that properly or not. I was in one of the elementary schools in town, and I don't know when it was. It was probably the last year that I was in one of the elementary schools in town, and I saw this bulletin board, and I really thought it was great. Uh, I don't know if you can see that. It's a little girl. It says, meet the person responsible for, and those are little mirrors right there. Meet the person responsible for your choices, your grades, your success, your words, and your actions. <laughs> if If if, you, if, if teachers could get that across to elementary school kids, they've done a really great job of, of teaching. If you can come out of elementary school understanding that I'm the person that's responsible for my choices, my grades, my success, my words, and my actions. And a negative way to say that is I am my own worst enemy. I don't know how many of you in the second service, a lot of you in the first service, because the average age in the first service is a little older, but I don't know how many of you remember the Dick Van Dyke show. Christopher looks at me and said, what in the world? How are you going to embarrass me right now? Okay. But some of you remember the Dick Van Dyke show and every, Dick Van Dyke show started with him walking in his door and tripping over the, what was that thing called right there? Hassock? That's a, that was an old Kentucky word. I don't know what they called it in Ohio, but tripped over the hassock right there. And I would always say to myself, why don't they move that, man? And that's an illustration for being your own worst enemy. And he tripped over that every single uh, week. Even the, even the Apostle Paul talks about 
in Romans chapter 7, and I'm putting it in my own words. And, you know, Apostle Paul says, why do I do what I don't want to do at the end of Romans 7? Well, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And why don't I don't do the things that I know I need to be doing? And he doesn't use those words, own worst enemy, but that's what he's talking about. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about how we can sabotage our Christian life by being our own worst enemy. How, how we can do things that will sabotage my Christian life. And the, there's a lot of verses I could go to uh, to start today's message and the, and, and, and the way that we sabotage our lives, probably the number one or two way or second way in our lives we sabotage is what's said in Proverbs 29, 25. In 29, 25, it says, the fear of man proves to be a snare. Now, friends, if you want to sabotage your Christian life, have a fear of man. It, it will prove the wisest man who ever lived wrote this, Solomon. It will prove to trap you. It will prove to be a snare, yet the opposite of that, yet those who trust in the Lord, um, those folks will be kept safe. The fear of man, the fear of man is, is not fear like uh, I jump into a swamp and there's 10 alligators in that swamp. It's not that kind of a fear. The fear of man is, is, is the fear of not having their approval. The fear of man is the fear of not having their acceptance. The, the, the fear of man is, is having to perform not for what I was taught early in my Christian life, not for, performing for an audience of one, but being able to have to perform for a lot of folks, and that's difficulty. People that struggle with the fear of man are having to please other people and having to keep in their good graces and I don't know how important this is on a scale of one through five on the ways that we can sabotage our Christian life but I know it would be near the top because constantly our Christian life can be sabotaged by a, a fear of man um, the fear of man will lead you to sin I read a lot about this topic this week, and, and, and some people said the fear of man is sin. I, I'm going to respectfully disagree with that. I think the fear of man is a temptation. I think the fear of man is a temptation. And I, and I have times when I are, am wanting to please man. And pleasing man is not wrong, and being accepted by people is not wrong. Only when doing something that pleases man or be accepted by man is outside the boundaries that Jesus would have me to live my life. And, and, and being, wanting to be accepted and wanting to, to have the approval of man, that's, that's a God-given thing. And, and what the enemy does and comes and distorts that and takes it outside the boundaries that God gives us and makes us do all kinds of weird things to get the approval of Man, fear of man leads us to sin. So I may, I, I may sense this fear of not pleasing this person, or I may fear this sense of not accepting that person, and that temptation causes actions in my life, and of course those actions would then be sin. How many of us 
have lied because of the fear of man. Because I didn't want to disappoint this person or look bad in this person's eyes, I lied or I exaggerated, made myself look a lot better than I actually was simply because I needed approval of this person. I was fearing this person. I wanted to be accepted by this group of people. I don't know how many in here would be able to testify with me that the first beer I ever drank was because of the fear of man. Can you be that honest? I didn't want to take it. I was in the back seat of a 1967 Chevelle Malibu and Philip Hampton and Chuck Mattingly was in the front seat. And they said, oh, come on, Fog. Everybody called me Fog back then. That's a whole other story. Don't get into that. But <laughs> and they had these little kings, these little seven-ounce little kings. It tasted nasty. But I wouldn't let them know that. Why? Fear of man. Having to have their approval. How many females have lost their virginity because they had to have the approval of that guy? They had to be accepted by that guy. They knew they should not have done that, but it was the fear of man wanting acceptance, wanting approval. Doing something that you know you should not do. I knew, sitting in the back seat of that 1967 Chevelle Malibu, that God did not want me to drink that little king. But Chuck Mattingly and Philip Hampton's approval at that time meant the most to me. That's the fear of man. Now, you can all come up with your examples. And, 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 and most of you could probably come up with an example, some like similar to mine. You could come up to examples in your workplace. Many times that someone has maybe asked you to do something that you knew you shouldn't have done or you were, were tempted in some way because of, of, of acceptance or approval to compromise a little bit on what you thought. Fear of man, it's a temptation that leads us to an action, and that action could be sin if it's outside of what you know that God wants you to do. The first commandment. <laughs> I also have no other gods before me. Now, when I drank that beer, I didn't know, and it wasn't in my mind at all, that Philip Hampton and Chuck Manley were... I was putting them in front of God. But the, the gods of being approved and the gods of acceptance and the gods of being one of the guys and the gods of being with the crowd and the god of being cool took the place of the real God at that moment in my life. At that decision-making moment in my life, the gods of approval, the gods of acceptance were the God for me, and I broke the first commandment at that. Didn't know that I did that, but thinking back through that, that's exactly what happened to me. Their approval was more important to me than God's approval in my life. I'm here to tell you, 
that, you know, what is it that's so bad about the fear of man? What is it that's so bad about having to have man's approval? What is it that's so bad about having to be accepted by man? Is that many times the fear of man in a whole lot of different ways that I could continue to go in will lead you to, will lead you to sin. The, the fear of man uh, makes us people pleasers and not God pleasers. And I think this is right where it's at here. It's this, it's, this is where it's at. And I've kind of already alluded to that. I was trying to be a people pleaser in the backseat of that Chevelle. I was trying to be a, a, a people pleaser. I wasn't trying to be a God pleaser. If, if you would tell a lie to save your face or you tell a lie to, to make yourself look cool or whatever, you're at that moment being a people pleaser and not being a God pleaser. The very, the very focal point of this way that we sabotage our Christian life. The, the, the very crux of this is at that moment, it, it probably won't go through your mind, you won't think about it, but when you come back in retrospect and think about what happened then, at that moment, you were more concerned. I was more concerned with, being, with pleasing people than I was with pleasing God. I remember when I was on the golf, I was an eighth grader, and I was on the golf course, and we had a par three golf course close to my home in Lexington, and I didn't know how to golf, but you didn't have to golf too much to go to a par three course, and, and so I was with Greg Hauser on a par three golf course, and, and Greg Hauser was on the other side of the green, and I was on this side of the green, and I can remember he hit a bad shot. I don't have, he, maybe he hit it all the way over the green, maybe he hit a little dubber and it went two inches, I don't have any idea, but he hit a lousy shot, and he looked at me, he goes, cuss me. I never cussed before in my life. <laughs> and I said, no, I ain't going to cuss. He goes, cuss me. And I don't know what I said. I, I couldn't cuss very good, I'm sure. But I just said something. I mean, but why did I do that? I didn't want him to think I was a sissy. At that moment, pleasing people. took the place of pleasing God in my life. And that is the very crux of the fear of man. It is a snare, God's word says. It will sabotage. Friends, it will sabotage. If you cannot deal with this issue in your life, it will sabotage your Christian life. At some point in your life, you have to realize that you perform. That may not be the best word, but you perform for an audience of one. And the truth would be known for a lot of us is we perform for a lot of people. Galatians chapter 1 talks a little bit about people pleasing. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul writes, Am I... Now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So that last sentence is really, really tough. Because Paul says, if I'm trying to please people, I can't be a servant of Christ. That's what he says. That's tough, man. Put it, putting, juxtaposing those two things, putting those things in eternal conflict. You know how I know so much about people pleasing? It's because I belong to a group of people that please try to 
really struggle with people pleasing. That's pastors. Right, Harold? We want people to come back to church. We want our church to grow. And sometimes, and that des- those, are, those are okay desires, but I can act on that okay desire in a sinful way by, by not preaching what I know I ought to preach. By being a respecter of persons in my church. Meaning, that's a biblical word, that's a biblical phrase. The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. And that means God does not think one person better than another person. And how many times can, can do our pastors under pressure to please certain people in a church and thus you would become a respecter of persons that you are under pressure to please that big giver or that one board member and you don't pay attention to that little couple that never says anything and sits on the back row. I belong to a fraternity of men and women who understand understand people pleasing. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul continues to write, and I referred to this a couple of weeks ago, this passage, Cephas is, was Peter's Another name for Peter, and it says, when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul says, I oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. Verse 12 says, for before certain people came from James, and they came from Jerusalem, they were in James's group from Jerusalem, they came from headquarters, and, and, and he, Peter used to eat over here with the Gentiles. But when these people came from Jerusalem, he, didn't, he turned his back on the Gentiles And he went to eat with the group that says you have to be circumcised if you're going to be a man of God. Now, these Gentiles over here, Paul taught that you didn't have to be, even though he was. But he says, I I didn't teach that circumcision. It, It was of no value. Peter came and turned his back on the Gentiles and went over here and eat with the people that came from headquarters. Verse 13 says, and then the other Jews even joined him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Barnabas must have been thought of really, really well by Paul. And he says, even Barnabas, I can't believe even Barnabas was led astray. And then verse 14 says, when I saw, listen, when they were not acting in truth with the gospel. Wow. When I saw them not acting in truth with the gospel, in, the, in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And Paul says that he opposed him to his face. People pleasing, scared of people, scared that they would not approve of me, scared I would not be in the in crowd I have, a, I have a book in my library that I don't usually have in my library because I give it away a lot. And I would recommend it for anyone that struggles with this. It's by Ed Welch. And when people are big and God is small. That's the issue. On that 
I assume it was a Friday or Saturday night in Lexington, Kentucky, when I was in the back seat of that 67 Chevelle Malibu, people were big and God was small. Any of us that live in public life deal with this because we've, we feel the pull of, of the public life and the pull of the secular world and we feel the, feel the pull of Jesus in our life and, and the pull of trying to be accepted and wanting to be liked and being part of this crowd and we know that being part of this crowd sometimes means that we can't be part of this crowd and being part of the Jesus crowd sometimes means we can't be part of that crowd and we just got all kinds of trouble in our life. Because we know that God should be big and people should be small. But the very thing the enemy tries to make us do, and this temptation of the fear of man, is to make people big and God small. What is the fear of man? It, it, it leads us to sin, it, 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 it makes us people pleasers and not God pleasers. You know another thing it can do? Some of you will deny, will, will uh, understand this. You'll, you'll remember back on this. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you won't have to remember too far. The fear of man, the fear of men will make you deny Christ. Will make you deny Christ. How many times have we been in situations where I knew as, as a Christian I should do this, or I knew as a Christian I shouldn't do this, or I knew as a Christian I shouldn't go there, or I knew as a Christian I should go there. And because of the crowd, who knows that peer pressure is just not something that teenagers deal with, because of the crowd, I denied my Christian life. I denied who I really was. It's, it's an identity issue. Who am I really? Who am I really? At the core of my being, am I really a son of the living God? Or do I not, not know who I am, so I have to please her and please him and please him and please her? And The problem with pleasing her and him and him and her is you all change all the time. You change your opinions all the time. How many times have, as a Christian, I know I should say something, but I didn't because of, you know, I, I want, you know, I'm trying to fit in with that group, and I don't want that group to think I'm a real radical, and I don't want that group to think, you know. And so I kept my mouth shut. How many times have I read you this verse? Probably 20 times I've used this verse in some kind of sermon since I've been your pastor. John 12, 42 and 43. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Jesus, but they would not confess their faith because of the Pharisees. They were afraid the Pharisees would throw them out of the synagogue. And if you got thrown out of the synagogue... In first century Jerusalem, that was a major deal. That was a social status type of thing. Even, even among the leaders in, in, in Jerusalem, many believed in Jesus but would not publicly confess their faith. 
You know, that's what we do in baptism. We publicly confess our faith, but let's be honest. Let's just be honest. Come on. It's easy to confess our faith in here, isn't it? <laughs> let's just be honest. I, I, I think we should. This is a wonderful thing, and I think it's marvelous to do this. And we'll do, we'll, we'll do it again in a few months. But come on. Come on. It's easy. It's easy in here. But for fear of the Pharisees... They would not confess their faith publicly because they thought they would get thrown out of church, their equivalent of church in that day. And here's the verse I throw at you time and time again. For they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. (laughs) Me, 16 years old, backseat 1967 Chevelle, Malibu. At that moment, I wanted the praise of Chuck Mattingly and Philip Hampton more than I wanted the praise of God. I didn't know that was what was happening. I, ha- I wasn't intelligent enough to think through that at that moment, but that's exactly what was happening. When I did something I knew I shouldn't have done, I did that because I loved the praise of men. I wanted their praise more important then I wanted God's pat on my back. <clears throat> Makes us God people pleasers more than God pleasers. Makes us deny who we really are in Jesus Christ. Three times in the night before Jesus' death, Peter denied Jesus to a little, the Bible says, a little servant girl. It's not like a big Roman soldier had a, had a sword to his neck. You, 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 you read that toward the end of Matthew. It was a servant girl. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. The servant girl said, don't you belong to his group? You know, Jesus was on trial up there, you know, and that Jesus was getting ready to be sentenced to death. And the little servant girl Servant girl. What does that mean? She's a teenager? I don't have any clue. Don't you belong? Aren't you in his group? Don't you belong to his crowd? And the Bible records Peter's words as, I do not know the man. The girl didn't have a Roman soldier, didn't have a sword to his throat. I don't know of all the ways that we can sabotage our life, which is the worst, and we'll talk about four or five of them here in the next few weeks. But this has got to be up there in top two, man. And you, we somehow, you know, I really struggle with this message because it's, what I've said so far is really easy to say, and it takes no big great preacher to be able to say it. But, but what I want to do is now tell you how you overcome the fear of man. I, I should just not hold it out here and preach a message on the fear of man and y'all going out feeling real bad about the fear of man. I should be able to give you some hope on the grace of God <coughs> to overcome the fear of man. But you know, in the Bible, there's allusions to it, but there's just not like a step one, the step two and step three, and the best I come up with is the last thing I have here. Is, is that we fear 
who we give most authority to in our lives. Do you hear that? We fear whom we give most authority to in our lives. Can you put that up there, Eric? Now, there it is. At that moment in the back seat, Philip Hampton and Chuck Mattingly had most authority in my life. The Bible tells us over 50 times, over 50 times, to fear God or fear the Lord. And you may think that's, you may not even understand that and because, you know, we're supposed to love God and loving God and loving other people, the greatest commandment and, and love and fear and how's all that got to work. But this, again, this is not a, a trembling type of fear. This is a fear. Fear of the Lord means I, he is who he says he is. And I have a great fear of displeasing him. I fear my dad. Not because he beat me. Not because he beat me. I, 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 I feared his disapproval, his disappointment in my life. Some of you know what I mean. The fear of God is that God is God, is God and, and, and he is who he says he is and he, he's not to be trifled, trifled with. God has gotten, you know, a lot of people, there's, there's some people when I was in seminary who tried to get me to, you know, I, because they said you're supposed to be in such a love relationship with God that, that, that when you pray to him, you ought to call him daddy. I just couldn't do that. Is he my Abba Father? Yes, he is. But for some reason, daddy was just disrespectful in my mind. He's God. He's God. And there's a fear there. There's a reverence there. There's an awesomeness there that can absolutely coincide with loving him. Isn't it fascinating that in the prayer in Matthew 6, when we're taught to pray, it starts with our Father. Nobody called God Father before Jesus came. Only four times in the, in the whole of the Old Testament is God referred to as Father. Over 200 times in the New Testament. He, he, Jesus came to, to show us of this personal, intimate relationship. So he starts that prayer with our Father. And then he goes where? Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name forever linking the love of God with the fear of God he is holy he is other and we need a dose of that in modern J evangelicalism we do we do you fear who has most authority in your life and the Bible says, in the, in, the, in the book of the Bible that's written, a, a book of wisdom, Solomon, the Bible says, the wisest man who ever lived, in the seventh verse of that book, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
It's the beginning. Of, you you want to learn to be a wise person? You want to walk on a, a trail of wisdom? The start of that, the very beginning of that, the very start of that is a fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. Acts chapter 5, Paul and uh, Peter and some of the other apostles were standing in front of the Sanhedrin, some of the government officials, and they were in trouble because they'd been preaching Jesus, and they told him, don't go preach Jesus anymore. And they feared God enough to say, we must obey God rather than man. At men's Bible study on last Tuesday night, I taught a Bible study on Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some of you know that story. I've, I've taught that four or five times over my 25 years. And, and, but this time I saw something I never, ever saw in it before. At the very end of that whole story, it said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at least in the, new, the NIV that I had, defied the king. Defied the king. And so I said something in that Bible study I hadn't said in 25 years of doing that Bible study. I said, there comes a time. I'm trying to remember exactly how I said it. There may come a time in your Christian life that you have to defy the king. Now, I'm not saying anything, friends. Don't read anything to what I'm saying right here. But there may, right here, we must obey God rather than human beings. What, what if, what, what if in, in my lifetime people come and tell me what I can preach and, and, and I can't know because of hate speech? There are things that I can't say anymore. I have a decision to make. And you all have a decision to make. And it may not come in my lifetime. It more likely will come in my boy's lifetime. I'm seeing things I've never seen before, friends. There may be a time where we'll have to stand up and say something like, we must obey God rather than man. Who you fear most is the person that has authority in your life. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10 Verse 23, Jesus says this, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, capital O, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't be afraid of man and what he can do. The person that ought to have most authority in your life is the person that can destroy both soul and body in hell. That, that's the Prince of Peace that said that. Jesus, the most loving person who ever walked the face of this earth, said that. Jesus, who said that the, the greatest commandment was to love God and love other people, said that. I've, somewhere in my preaching journey, I've preached a series on Ecclesiastes. I've never preached it here. And, I, and, and probably sometime in the next few years, I'll preach it sermon series on Ecclesiastes. It's, it's a good look at life and 
talking about the philosophy of life and how we deal with life and how we deal with secular life. And the Bible spends 12 chapters of, of trying to look at life and trying to understand life and figure out the complexities of life. And at the end, one verse from the last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13, the Bible says this, Now, after all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Honor God. Realize that He's God. Realize He's going to do what He says He's going to do. Realize that He's your Father, but hallowed be His name. Realize that He's your Abba Father, but He can cast both soul and body into hell. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. (laughs) How do you defeat the God of people? How do you become a God pleaser and not a people pleaser? Who you fear most in your life? Who you fear most in your life means who has the most authority. And the Bible says over 50 times to fear the Lord or to fear God. He is to be reverenced. He is to be kept in awe. He is to be hallowed. Oh, yes, he's my father. Oh, yes, I can cuddle up right next to him and pray to him and call him father. But he's not to be trifled with. And what I have to admit that I had no clue when I was 16 is that at that moment when I was 16, in the backseat of that 67 Chevelle Malibu, is that Phil Hampton and Chuck Mattingly had most authority in my life. And that made me, at that moment in my life, that made me a people pleaser. That made me have the fear of man. Now, my goal in preaching this message is that some of you may never have thought through this. I didn't think through that when I was 16. I didn't realize, yep, I'm bound down to the God of Chuck and Philip right now. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But as I get older and think back through, what made me do that? What made me commit that sin is because at that moment I had a fear of man. They were the most authoritative figures in my life. If you know that, you can ask God's forgiveness. You can start working on seeking first His approval in your life, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, and understanding what it means that the very beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord making him supreme. And this is what we mean when we say in word, thought, and deed. In every aspect of our lives. God has brought to your mind. If you have a heart that's tender toward God, God has brought to your mind some instance this morning where you had a fear of man. And your response to this message is, God, don't let me do it again. 
You don't need to beat yourself up about it. You don't need to feel shame about it. God, don't let me do it again. Help me to have a backbone and stand for you instead of bowing to the idols of man. And for all those times that every single one of us have bowed to the idols of man, there is forgiveness available. There is forgiveness. If you would admit it, repent of it. It's not just admitting it. And just, well, yeah, next time I'll do it, I'll ask forgiveness too. No, it's repenting of it too. It's saying, God, don't let me do it again. But what you know what? If you do it again, go ahead and ask for forgiveness again. And say it again. If you really mean it, don't let me do it again. That's repentance. God, I don't want to bow down to the Chuck Mattingly's and Philip Hamptons of my life anymore. And he sent his son to die for us because we all have. We all have. So on the night before his death, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. He said to do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, the Bible says he took the cup and says this is the cup of the new covenant. He says, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of all the times that you feared man can be forgiven. And there's power in this, and you don't have to live that kind of life again. Father, there's many ways that we sabotage our Christian life. But I see it almost impossible for me to be a Christian and to live a life in fearful of man's opinions. It seems my Christian life would be so up and down, so over and under and good times and bad times that I would just get frustrated with it. God, bring to our minds times that we have feared men. Times that we have denied you, even though it may not have been with our lips in a blatant way like Peter did. Help us and remind us and point to us. Put your finger in our back and and lovingly show us that we've just been people pleasers and we haven't been God pleasers. Help us to show it. Show us when we're giving other people the most authority in our lives. Point point that out to us. Bring it to our mind. May we confess it. May we repent of it. May we walk in newness of life. And if we do it again, may we confess it. May we repent of it. And not want the fear of man in our life. Because we know that fearing you 
is the beginning of all wisdom. The beginning of all wisdom. That our real duty in life is to fear you and keep your commandments. Help us to be those kind of people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.